If you have your Bible, turn with me, if you will, to Psalm 100. I think it's, it's interesting and somewhat striking that Psalm 100 is the, is the only psalm in the Psalter that is specifically identified as a psalm uh, for giving thanks. Of course, many of the psalms talk about thanksgiving and giving expressions of thanks, and we are exhorted in many of them to do so, and yet Psalm 100 is the only one explicitly identified as a psalm for giving thanks, and it is really the essence of thanksgiving. It's very short and yet to the point. And throughout the generations of church history, Christians have uh, definitely felt that way, for there have been hundreds of songs that have been written that were based on the 100th Psalm. One of the most familiar was written by Isaac Watts, who wrote, Before Jehovah's awful throne, ye nations bow with sacred joy, know that the Lord is God alone. He can create and he can destroy. Uh, it is absolutely essential that we understand that there is no such thing as a thankless Christian. The terms don't go together. That's like a heavenly devil. You, you cannot be a Christian unless you are thankful because we have so much to be thankful for. We are those who know two things explicitly that this psalm says of us, that God is our creator and that he is our redeemer, that God has made everything that is and that he has redeemed us and that we are his. So regardless of our circumstances, Wherever we find ourselves, we are to be thankful in everything. Uh, in, in several places in the New Testament, almost the exact words occur, be thankful for everything. Or in everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. In everything, not in some things, but in all things. The, the psalm begins with a demonstration of thanksgiving. Uh, have you ever been in a situation where someone did something for you and you wanted to express your appreciation to them? You wanted to show them that you uh, are thankful and you appreciate what they have done? And sometimes it's, it's not easy to know what to do. But if it is difficult to show appreciation to another human being, how much more difficult is it then to show appreciation to God? How can we show God that we are thankful for what he has done for us? We, we can't really give him anything because he, he owns it all now. And besides that, he needs nothing from us. Uh, we do not, this offering that we have made, we, we don't make that offering because God needs the money, he doesn't. Uh, he has all power, he has all wealth. So what can you do? What can you do to show God your appreciation? How can you demonstrate that you are thankful? 
for God. And the psalm here in the opening verses suggests three things. First of all, he says, we can shout, make a joyful noise to the Lord. The word in the original Hebrew means a glad shout, such as subjects might uh, utter when the king appears among them. The emphasis is on the gladness of the time. Uh, Joy appears three times in the words, or some derivative of it. Joy, gladness, and singing. Uh, It would be accurate to express this by saying that the people of God are to praise God loudly because they are happy with Him. Spurgeon said of this verse, Our happy God should be worshipped by happy people. A cheerful spirit in keeping with his nature, his acts and his gratitude, which we should cherish for his mercies. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Um, That's why I sing. When I come here, I sing. When when we sing congregationally, I want to make a joyful noise to the Lord. If you have stood by me or behind me or in front of me, you know that it's rarely in the right key. It's not not the right pitch, not the right time. And if that bothers you, I just don't care. I've come here to make a joyful shout to the Lord. I am thankful for what he has done for me. I am thankful for what he has done for you. You know, and I do that wherever I go. It used to be uh, uh, one of my favorite things uh, when we would go on vacation and go to church, and uh, we'd be stand, sitting at the back, you know, like good Baptists, and, and they'd stand up to sing a congregational song, and I'd grab a hymn book, and my two sons would go, you know, and I would, I would sing, you know, and everybody would be turning around, looking, you know. And I didn't care. It was really an added bonus. You get to embarrass your kids. I mean, I mean, who doesn't live for that kind of thing, you know, that you get to embarrass your teenagers, you know. But I, it really, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying that I, I'm trying to do that to be obnoxious. I'm really glad. I'm really glad that God has saved me. I am really thankful for His mercy. I'm thankful for His grace. And I want to, I want to let him know and everybody else, you know, make a joyful noise to the Lord. You know, it doesn't say it has to be perfect pitch. It it doesn't say that anywhere. It just says a noise. Mine is generally a noise, and it's joyful, and it's loud. I think that's what embarrassed my children so much, you know. If I hadn't have been so loud, it wouldn't have been so bad. But we are to express our thanks in a way that others know that we are glad. And then he says we can serve. Serve the Lord with gladness. The psalm suggests we serve God by our worship. For it says in verse 4, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. And yet we need to remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 25 where he said the righteous are praised in the day of judgment because the Lord was hungry 
and they gave him something to eat. He was thirsty, and they gave him something to drink. He was a stranger. They invited him in. He was naked, and they clothed him. He was sick, and they looked after him, and in prison, and they visited him. You remember the righteous say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And Jesus said, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. So how else can we give thanks? Jesus said we give thanks when we meet the needs of others. When we give a cup of cold water in Jesus' name. When we feed those who are hungry. When we visit those who are in prison. When we help those who are overcome by sin when we bear one another's burdens, then we are giving thanks to him. And then he says, we can worship together. The third imperative at the beginning of Psalm 100 is come. Come together and serve the Lord with gladness. This refers to formal worship. All of my life I've heard people say things like, well, you know what? I can worship God just as good out in the woods or on the lake or on the golf course as I can in the church. No, you can't. Now, I'm not denying that you can't worship God there. You can worship God anywhere. And you ought to worship God anywhere. The Bible, from beginning to end, makes it abundantly clear that there is a special sense of worship when the people of God have come together we are not we are not saved uh, to be individuals we are not uh, God doesn't save us as just to stand alone in isolation we are an elect company we are the people of God and we are to come together to worship him Uh, faith and works go together it's not just serving others it's not a social gospel by itself rather it is serving the Lord by serving others and coming together to worship him so these these words of thanksgiving speak first of all of a verbal witness I hear a lot of people now quote St. Francis of Assisi who said uh, preach the gospel at all times if necessary use words Listen, if you're going to preach the gospel, you have to use words. Because people can mistake your good works. They can mistake your altruism. They may think you're just being a philanthropist for the philanthropy's sake. You have to use words to preach the gospel. You have to tell people, Jesus Christ died for your sins. He was buried and rose again the third day. You have to. But it speaks of our verbal witness. It speaks of our humanitarian activity. It speaks of helping others. And it speaks of worship. All of this is a demonstration of our thanksgiving. And then in verse 3, there's a revelation of thanksgiving. The fourth imperative in the psalm is this. No. By including that, the psalmist said that our thanksgiving to God must be intelligent. We must know whom we are thanking. We must, just as faith must have content, uh, so our thanksgiving 
must have content. Paul talked to the Athenian worshipers in Acts chapter 17 who he said were worshiping an unknown God. And Paul stood up and addressed them and said, what you worship is something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. We cannot rightly worship a God who is unknown to us. So what about God should we know? In verse 3, he gives us the answer. He is our creator, and he is our redeemer. There is a connection between knowing God as creator and knowing ourselves as creatures. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us. We are his creatures. The only way to really know yourself is to know God. And knowing God involves knowing yourself. The two always go together. The great Reformation theologian John Calvin said, Without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Nearly all the wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts. The knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. Uh, those two all always go together. Knowing God involves two things specifically. First of all, knowing Him as Creator. It is He who has made us. When we do not know God as Creator, we imagine that we are our own creators. That is the, uh, that is the appeal scientifically behind the theory of evolution. It explains everything without God. We don't, we don't need God, thank you very much. We've done away with a need for God. We, we know that, that everything came from nothing. Okay. It is important to realize that God is the creator, that we didn't get here by ourselves, that it is he who has made us. Another way that we imagine that we are our own creators is an inordinate, inordinate admiration for our own abilities or achievements. Someone once described an Englishman as a self-made man who worships his creator. That could be said of many Americans today. It is only when we know God as creator that we know ourselves as his creatures and that we can appropriately be thankful to him. But secondly, we must know God as redeemer, even more important than knowing him as creator. That's the emphasis behind the words, his people and the sheep of his pasture. Ultimately, that is what he's thinking of. It's not hard at this point uh, to think of David's moving personal expression of faith in God as his shepherd in Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Uh, every year at this time, I, I think about those words. Uh, my, my father died on the day after Thanksgiving. And he, he had cancer. He'd been sick about four months. And uh, about two days before he died, uh, he had, I don't know how to explain it, kind of an epiphany. He had about two or three hours where he had no pain. And he, and he drank water, which he hadn't been able to do for days. And, and this was like 
in the middle of the night, and uh, he looked at me and he said, uh, I know that people ask you, as, as a preacher, what's it like to die? And he said, for those who are Christians, he said, it's like this, the Lord is my shepherd, I don't need anything. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't need anything. I've got him. If the Lord is your shepherd, that's all you need. I shall not want. In the New Testament, John says that Jesus tells us that he is the good shepherd and that we are his sheep. Sometimes, uh, sometimes our thankfulness seems to be contingent upon uh, what we have in the way of material blessings. That's, that is much of what drives the American holiday of Thanksgiving, I think. You know, someone said, I read the other day, someone said that Americans are maybe the only people in the world who stop one day to give thanks and then go out the next day at three in the morning and kill each other trying to get more. <laughs> uh, we're driven by what we have in the sense of material things and what we want. But if there's no other reason to be thankful, if, if we lose everything, we can be thankful because it is God who has made us, it is God who has redeemed us. No one should be more thankful than the sheep that have the good shepherd who gave his life for them. Notice he says that the implication of the words he made us. If he is really God who has made us and not ourselves, then we are his because he made us. And then we are his to do with as what seems best to him. Has he given us days of unusual prosperity? If so, it has pleased him to do so, and we should be thankful for it. For he is a good and generous God. Uh, has he given us days of trial, of sorrow, of sickness? If that's the case, then we should be thankful, knowing that he is a wise and gracious God, uh, even in hard times. The Apostle Paul said, I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Paul was in prison when he wrote those words, but the, the letter in which it occurs, the letter to the Philippians, overflows with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving and joy mark the letter to the Philippians that Paul wrote from a Roman jail, chained between two Roman soldiers, awaiting execution. Certainly not very favorable circumstances, and yet they, they just ooze with joy and thanksgiving. There's one more important, important point in the verse, I think, that we need to notice we are His. Regardless of what comes in life, we are still His. Troubles inevitably will come. It doesn't matter. We are His. 
Sickness will come. We are his. We may lose a job. We are his. Suppose that our children rebel and turn against God and against us. We are his. Suppose death should come to our immediate family, and it will. We're still his. and We will always be his. God the Father said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Jesus said, surely, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The Apostle Paul said that he was convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whatever comes, we are His. Matters not. I, I, I look at uh, the situation in our country today, not just the culture, but the government and the politics, and it seems to me that things are flying apart at an ever-increasing rate. And, uh, you know, it's a crazy world, and things are changing more and more every day. And yet I remind myself every morning and every night, I am His. I am His. He is God. I am not. And whatever may come, I am His. The third part of the psalm is an invitation to thank God. And again, Three strong imperatives. Enter, give thanks, and bless. We get to verse 4 here. The, the emphasis is clearly upon the gathering of God's people, coming to the temple to praise Him together. Um, that, that's not just a, a way of saying it's good to go to church, although that's true enough. But it teaches us that there is a special aspect of thanksgiving that, the whole, that involves the whole people of God. Again, not just the private prayers and private worship of individuals, but rather the corporate worship. We come together to encourage one another. Our giving thanks encourages others. Your giving thanks encourages me. Uh, I can imagine this psalm was often sung as an invitation from one Jew to another to go to the temple and praise the Lord, to thank God for all of His benefits. One of the ways we can thank God is by inviting others to come and join us in this thanksgiving. Uh, the psalm again begins, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. It's an invitation for all the people around the world to gather and to give thanks and praise to God. The final verse of the psalm, like verse 3, explains why you and I should thank God. But it's not just a repetition of the other. Uh, the third verse said we should thank God for what He has done. He has made us. He has redeemed us. So we should be thankful for that. The final verse doesn't say to thank God because of what He's done, but rather to thank God because of who He is. And it tells us three things about God, about who He is. First of all, God is good. The gods of the heathens were not good. They were cruel and selfish, capricious. They, you never knew when they would turn against you and do you harm. 
Not so our God. The God of the Bible is good. When God created, he looked out and said that it was good. When he gave his law, he said it was good. He reveals his will to us and says that his will is good and perfect and pleasing. The word gospel means good news. And the very word God in English is a shortened version of the word good. God is good. Now one of the psalmists cried out in Psalm 34, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. And then God is merciful. His mercy endures forever. God has many attributes. But the one that lies at the very heart of who he is is his mercy and his love. In the gospel, God gives us mercy. He, he gives us that which we do not deserve. Uh, we've, been, we've been studying in our men's Bible study uh, different doctrines in the Bible. We're coming up on the doctrine, the next one, of unconditional election. And so I'll be, I'll be teaching that. And uh, it occurred to me over again that most people start out with the wrong premise when they think about election. They begin by assuming that everyone deserves to be saved. What, what a faulty beginning. Man is sinful. All men are born sinners. So how many deserve to be saved? None. Absolutely zero. It is not amazing that God saves some. It is amazing that he saves any. A lady once came to Charles Spurgeon and said to him, Pastor, I've read the verses, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. I'm appalled. I don't understand. I, I don't get the meaning of Esau have I hated. And he looked at her and said, Madam, I too am appalled by that verse. I simply do not understand, Jacob have I loved. Yeah, I can understand Esau I've hated. I could understand if God hated me, of course. Why should he love me? Why should he extend his mercy to me? And then God is good, God is merciful, he is faithful. The word faithfulness translates a word that literally means stability, firmness. We live in a world of change. And not only is the world changing, change is changing. And it's changing faster and faster and faster as the years go on. In the midst of a rapidly changing world is a great comfort to me to know that God is unchanging. He is today for us what he was for our fathers and our mothers, what he was for Paul and Mary and Joseph and David and Abraham and all of the patriarchs back to the beginning. Has God been good in the past? Of course, we read about it in the pages of the Bible. Then we know he will always be good. He does not change. Has God been loving? Absolutely. He will always be loving. Has he seen God's, his people through difficult times? Of course. Then he will always do so. I want to ask you this. 
In verse 4 it says, Give thanks to him and bless his name. How do you bless the name of God? We think about God's blessings to us, but how do we bless God? We are to bless his name. The word in the Hebrew originally comes from a root word that means to kneel. We bless the Lord by our worship. Now here I don't mean just here. We do that here. We come together corporately. But more importantly, we bless the Lord by kneeling and serving Him and worshiping Him every moment of every day of our lives. When we are thankfully obedient as His people, we bless the name of the Lord. And here, here is something that's frightening. That means when we fail to be thankful, then we're cursing God. If we fail as God's people to be His thankful people, we do not bless Him, we curse Him. So is your life one of blessing God, or is your life one of cursing God? This morning, we are privileged to have the opportunity to worship the Lord 